Starcourt Study Hall episodes contain spoilers for all seasons of Stranger Things. Episodes may also contain graphic content and language not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts unless otherwise stated, and all content and characters are property of Netflix and the Duffer Brothers. I'm Amanda. I'm Marina. And And this this is Starcourt Study Hall. talked about in our trailer if you listened to it if not that's okay we're not offended mm-hmm. we're gonna do a lot with this podcast um starting with all the strange things about season one yes so if you haven't watched yet you should watch um but if not or if you forgot here's a quick summary in the fall of 1983 in hawkins indiana a portal to another dimension is opened causing the release of the demogorgon After Will Byers goes missing, it's up to our young heroes, a determined mom, and a rogue police chief to solve the mystery. Yeah, that's a pretty solid summary. Thank you. Let's talk about the players in this game. So there's a lot of children and a lot of danger and some adults who are just trying their absolute best. (laughs) Some. Some. (laughs) Some adults who are trying their absolute best, right? So for our cast of kids, which is a, a great song off of the score, if you have not Kids. If you have not located kids on the score, I think you should pause this podcast right now, go into Apple Music, yeah, go to the season one score and just, just listen to kids. Or Spotify. Or Spotify. Or, or wherever you're listening. Yeah, wherever. <laughs> um, so we have Will Byers. Mm-hmm. We have Mike Wheeler. We have Lucas Sinclair. We have Dustin Henderson. And we have Elle, who just simply does not have a last <laughs> name yet. Yet. <laughs> Poor Elle. I know. It's really sad. So those are our kids. Yeah. Uh, So for our teens, we have Nancy, Jonathan, and Steve. Uh, I didn't give them last names. That's all right. We know who they are. Yeah. Nancy is Mike's brother. Jonathan is Will's brother. Yes. And Steve is Dustin's father. Or mother. (laughs) Or mother. (laughs) Well, not yet, but he will be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, For our two functioning adults, we have Joyce Byers and we have Jim Hopper. Better known as just Hopper. Yes. And then we have uh, the bad man and the bad lady um, of the series. Well, who has the bad lady? Connie Frazier. I didn't even know she had a name. She does. Yeah. Yes. That's the blonde one? Yeah, the blonde one who murder- murders uh, Benny. Oh. Spoiler alert again. Um, and then we have uh, Marty B, a.k.a. Uh, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Martin Brenner. Marty B. Marty B. <laughs> so he is definitely a bad man. He is a bad man. I have yes. a lot of mixed feelings about him. Yes. We'll get to those. Yeah. We'll get to those mixed feelings. But in, in season one, uh, he is our bad man. Baddest man. Mm-hmm. And then Connie, uh, whose yeah. name I legitimately had no idea of. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> She's the blonde lady. The blonde lady. Yes. Okay. Uh, we also have some peripherals. So we have Barb. Okay. We have the Wheelers, like the entire family. So that includes Karen in all of her glory. And we have Ted, who's like the most useless human um, (laughs) probably on the planet. Mm -hmm. And we have um, Holly, who I didn't know this, but she's apparently a twin. Yes. Well, in real life. In real life, the actress is a twin. Yes. Had no idea. Oh, yeah. Um, We have Tommy and Carol, who are... Uh, the assholes who are, you know, friends with Steve, quote the unquote. Worst. They Just are terrible people. So bad. Um, 
We got the dumbass cops. You know, the, I don't know, what do you know their names? What are their names? Uh, Callahan and Powell. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, they're, you know, you think we've got a problem here? Like, yeah, we do have a problem here. There was a child and he's missing <laughs> and we need to do something about that. Like launch a search party. Right. That seems, seems like a problem. It's, yeah. A little bit. Yeah. We have Troy and James who are the two idiots who bully um, the boys at school. Did not know their names until starting the research for this. Um, and then we have, we have Lonnie. Uh, do we ever? Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's a piece of shit. But, he's you the know, worst. So. He's also the worst. Is there anybody that we have not? I don't know. I, I didn't think of anybody else. But uh, if anyone listening out there has thought of somebody that we completely omitted, please let us know. I mean, the Demogorgon. Well, yeah. He's a key player. He's for <laughs> she is a key player. Yes. He's he's kind of important. Um, So our setting. um, Our setting is Hawkins, Indiana, which actually does not exist. And Hawkins, Indiana is in Roan County, Indiana which also doesn't exist. However, Roan County does exist in Tennessee and West Virginia. So we we do get that small town kind of rural vibe from Hawkins. And fun fact, the Duffer brothers who created the show did grow up in North Carolina. Um, so it's pretty, pretty reflective of how they grew up. And I believe that they purposely set it in kind of a small town vibe um, to sort of bring in that nostalgia factor for themselves. This, this season happens over the course of about a week in November 1983. This whole thing of like Hawkins not existing, um, it's any, disappointing. Any of you? Out I was there. planning my honeymoon for Hawkins. For ha- why? I don't know. <laughs> why, why would you go there? Just feeling dangerous. <laughs> Ooh. Feeling spissy. <laughs> All right, let's talk about life in 1983 because we are in 2022 and life in 1983 is very different. It is. I don't know if you actually want to know what life was like in 1983. It's kind of depressing. Because when I, yeah, when I was doing this research, I was like, wow. This is trash. It is. Um, According to thepeoplehistory.com, which I don't know what the credibility of this website is, but I found it and it had numbers on it. It So we're going to run. Any any new homeowners out there, uh, sit down. Yeah. The median cost of a home in 1983 was (sighs) $70,000. It hurts. It's like... It's yeah. really bad. We we're in we're in the Northeast, um, which is a pretty expensive <clears throat> place to live in the United States. And I did just purchase my first home. Uh, yeah, it was a lot more expensive than that. Um, so this is this is painful. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, the average monthly rent in 1983, okay, was three hundred and thirty five dollars. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. It's like it sounds fake. It it does like. That, that, were none, no, not a no word. <laughs> Minimum wage was $3.35. So I guess you can kind of see, you know, yeah. how that ratio worked out a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, again, everybody sit down. Just sit down. Stop everything that you're doing, especially driving your car, if that's yes. what you're doing. Um, gas. <clears throat> In 1983 was 96 cents per gallon yeah for for context um at the time that we are recording this i actually got gas earlier today and it was four dollars and 49 cents per gallon so that also hurts yeah and completely unrelated to any of this a gallon of milk (laughs) you know just in case just in case this is what you wanted to know today about 1983 a gallon of milk costs a dollar 35 that's pretty good i'm pretty sure i you know because lactose intolerance i'm pretty sure i paid like 650 for lactate the other day holy crap 
man, they were living the life back in a dollar thirty five for milk. That's pretty nice. So Will got to drink milk for a dollar. <laughs> a dollar. Good a dollar. for him. A dollar thirty five. It's too bad he gets taken. Yeah. I don't think there's milk in the upside down. I mean, you know, maybe in the absence of water. Imagine if when they go through Watergate in season four, <laughs> if rather than it just being an empty, desolate. Oh, dried up lake it's just full of milk <laughs> <laughs> oh that's, that's that's somehow worse than the demobats <laughs> milk gate okay <laughs> oh gosh <All> right. <clears throat> so uh there are also some some events going on uh, <laughs> that don't involve milk that don't involve milk i mean i guess maybe they did. i don't know <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, at the time um, that this season takes place, Nintendo, on a more fun note, uh, <laughs> pivot. <laughs> pivot, uh, Nintendo's Mario Brothers was first launched in Japan as an arcade game in, in uh, 1983. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that is pretty awesome. Um, Motorola. Yeah. What is Hello Moto? Yeah. Motorola. <laughs> uh, those guys. They introduced the first mobile phone. Yeah. I, I can't imagine how large that was. Um, it was probably like the size of a, a brick. Oh my god. Maybe a, maybe like a cinder block. Yeah. I don't know. Um yeah, we we are kind of aging ourselves. <laughs> um it like negatively aging ourselves, I guess. Um because yeah, we we did not experience that, but no. But yeah. And Microsoft Word was released two weeks prior to Will's disappearance on October twenty-fifth, nineteen eighty-three. Um uh, music is like a super important part of this show, as we all know. Mm-hmm. So Separate Ways by Journey, which is actually the song from the season four volume one trailer, came out in 1983. Yes. So did Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cyndi Lauper. Hello. By <laughs> Lionel Richie, also came out in 1983. And Sweet Dreams Are Made of These by the Eurythmics, which like if you haven't seen that video on YouTube of the bears dancing to Sweet oh Dreams, please go and find that video. It will change your perception of sweet dreams are made of these. It will. And it it's also a really handy reference to let people know what the inside of your brain feels like. Mm. Um, if you're just feeling really, really wacky, you know, <laughs> just let them know. Sweet dreams are made of bears. Um, and season one's anthem, Should I Stay or Should I Go by The Clash, actually came out the year prior in 1982. Mm-hmm. All right, so we got some movies also that were going on at this time. Um, we have The Outsiders, and also fun fact about that, um, the version of Rob Lowe, the actor Rob Lowe that we see in The Outsiders, is actually the inspiration for Billy Hargrove. So we we do see some Rob Lowe from The Outsiders actually referenced. Yeah, go Google that photo. You should. Yeah, Google Google Rob Lowe in, in the 80s and the 90s. I mean, Billy Hargrove, seriously. Um, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. The Evil Dead, Flashdance, Return of the Jedi, which was the highest grossing film of the year, which is absolutely no surprise Not to a single surprise. anybody. Uh, All the Right Moves came out on October 21st, 1983. And Steve actually asked Nancy to go see this movie in season one. Um, and he <laughs> he gives his best <laughs> rendition of Bob Seger's Old Time Rock and Roll, which, which is a great scene. Um, and then Poltergeist, which is referenced in season one, that actually came out in June 1982, which means when we see that flashback of Joyce and Castle Byers uh, when she's talking to Will, 
about going to see Poltergeist, that flashback must have happened about a year before the events of season one. Love Poltergeist. Yes, <clears throat> yes. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the title card um, of the series because I am a font nerd. A font fish, fiend. A font fiend. A, a font aficionado. <laughs> uh, whatever you want to call it. I really like fonts. Um, <laughs> she so likes fonts. I do. I love fonts. <laughs> so uh, the font that's used in the title card for Stranger Things is called ITC and I'm so sorry if, <laughs> if this pronunciation is absolutely butchered. Um, but I, I googled everywhere on how to pronounce this and the conclusion I came to was that it's pronounced ITC Bengat. I, it's spelled B-E-N-G-U-I-A-T. Now I, <laughs> now, I know this is named after a person, and I I, oh, no. I searched so long to try to figure out how to say this person's last name, and I, I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, so please forgive me. Um, so in the 1980s, this font was the house font for RCA Records. So all of their album covers, um, the default font that they would use was ITC Ben Gat. Um, the font is also used on the cover of many mm. 1980s Stephen King novels, yeah. which, which was a huge influence, of course. Um, in Stranger Things, pretty much anything Stephen King. You can even see it at the end of season four when Lucas is reading The Talisman. That's right. And the font on that book is this font. That is so right. Yeah. Oh, man. Several album covers feature this font, including uh, albums by The Smiths, Greta Van Fleet, and Logic. Uh, The book covers for the Choose Your Own Adventure series. Yeah, I remember those vaguely. Yeah, yeah. We definitely had those in our school library growing up. It is also the main typeface featured in the main titles for the Star Trek films. Hmm. (laughs) This one's kind of a fun fact. Uh, Paramount's FBI warning from 1995 to present. So that thing that you see before movies that has like the warning from from the FBI, like don't copy this. Um, Yeah, that's that's the same Hmm. font. Uh, Who written, knew? Right? Written <laughs> and directed me. by Quentin Tarantino features this font. So whenever you see that at the beginning of a Quentin Tarantino film, it's it's ITC Bengat. And this is my absolute favorite use of oh the font. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> it was the gothic version. Yes, it's the gothic version. The gothic version of this font appears in The Sims 2. Where? It do- I'll, I'll show you after this. Um, It's pretty cool. And Marina and I played Sims 2 endlessly. Yeah, in, we were bad. In like late middle school, early high school. Um, so much. So, yeah, it yeah. just it just foreshadowed our yeah. experience with this font. <laughs> and just for some context, like we are both thirty. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, so we were playing The Sims two. I don't know when was that? Like two thousand and five. Yeah. Two thousand six. Yeah. Way back. Yeah, a long time ago. So, so yeah, we've we've been gearing up for Stranger Things for a really long we, time. Yeah, this is it was actually foreshadowed in yes by The Sims in our lives. Yeah, in real life. Let's kind of talk about we're going to we're going to stop talking about history now. So Stranger Things has a lot of themes. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're both English majors. Yes. We so did. we are. We did do that. We love themes. We do themes. love a good theme. <laughs> and a motif. Oh, um, man. Ooh, motifs. Ooh. Themes and motifs. We love those. And foreshadowing oh, yeah. and all those English majory things. Oh, yeah. Literary devices are. Mm. Yeah. We love yeah. them. So we kind of came up with like a list of themes for that we like identified in season one. Mm-hmm. We have a nice handful of them. Um, well, let's start with like innocence and the loss of innocence. Yes, we do see this featured pretty heavily in season one. Yeah, it's like you have Will getting taken right off the bat, which not only does that, you know, fuck up Will's innocence. Of course. But it fucks up all the kids' innocence. They have to like grapple with this concept of this 
our best friend is gone. Yes. Yeah. I actually mentioned, um, which I mean, we're, we're keeping our, our episode one um, notes to ourselves for now. Yeah, but, it's a secret. But, but I will mention that I actually did note um, that you see how, what a difference. Like in the beginning of episode one, the boys are just boys. Like they're so young and so yeah. boyish. And then, you know, you really start to see them transform via the the trauma of losing their best friend yeah and then it's just like fresh on my brain because we were just watching this last night but we're 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 currently re-watching my husband and i are currently re-watching season three and when you get to the scene where will destroys castle buyers and you watch him like he's essentially mm-hmm. abandoning his innocence to me in that scene he's like tearing it down yes. he feels like his friend's are abandoning him they've you know kind of moved on and he never got that like piece of his childhood yeah and and actually in that scene is when we get our first f-bomb of the se- the series actually um will screams it while he's destroying castle buyers hmm. so that's that's actually like another really interesting oh, yeah, little interesting little piece of uh losing your innocence yeah a little yeah because he doesn't curse no will never curses no he doesn't we also have Nancy's virginity. Mm-hmm. That goes pretty early. It does. Um, that's like a big, I mean, that's like loaded. It is loaded. Like, right? It's really loaded. Like, right. we, <laughs> like dis- <laughs> disclaimer, we understand virginity is like a social construct and right. stuff. Um, but, but I think that the way that Nancy perceives it at this time right. and also how it, it's perceived in 1983. In that year. Yeah. Yeah. That time period. Yes. Um, but we'll talk, we're going to talk about, about that in like depth. Yes. Hopper's arc from being a loving dad to being just like this broken cop who is on this hunt for purpose Mm -hmm. in its own way i think him losing sarah was a form of him losing an innocent oh yeah yeah i mean he you can see he was kind of this like real wholesome Mm. dad to Mm -hmm. sarah um and then once he loses her he he loses himself completely after innocence and you know the loss of it we also were talking about this theme of good versus evil yes which is which like you know of course that's (laughs) on its own it's pretty rudimentary yeah um but it it goes a little deeper than that i think yeah i think we see l constantly struggling with this idea of am i evil yeah even from season one oh yeah yeah we also have the the steve versus jonathan yes a little bit of a foil going on where we're not sure if Steve is a bad guy, but you have him constantly juxtaposed with Jonathan, especially when it comes to Nancy. So mm-hmm. I do think in season one, up until the end, you do get this Jonathan versus Steve, good versus evil. Yeah. Especially when they duke it out and they fight in the alley. Like, you definitely get that from mm-hmm. them as a pair, this good versus evil. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and I, I like that they're kind of foils because there's a lot of pieces of their personalities mm-hmm. that are it's not black and white no like you know jonathan takes these creepy pictures of nancy yeah. like that's Stop not that. not cool <laughs> no. um and like yeah in that moment you kind of understand steve's reaction um but then you know he re- retaliates when he thinks that nancy's cheating on him and does all these mean things to her but bad move yeah bad move and, and I, she and she dated him after that she did she you know she but like, i think cool. again that speaks to the complexity <laughs> yes. of these characters like mm-hmm. we know jonathan's not a shithead yes we know that he he's a, just a weird lapse in judgment yeah and he's, he's going through hell clearly, clearly going <laughs> his through brother something. is gone yes so I, all right i'll give him a pass we'll give him a pass on that one For um now. yeah nah, yucky he's on thin ice he is <laughs> 
thin milk. Ew. <laughs> All right. Enough about the milk. Ew. <laughs> Lonnie versus Hopper. I kind of just like made this up. I pulled it out of thin air because it just felt like that was happening mm-hmm. in season one. Because Lonnie is such an absolute asshole and he shows his colors. And I loved watching Joyce come to the conclusion that he was just there for the money when yes. Will, after they bury, bury, quote unquote, Will. Yes. It was like, it was just like a liberating scene to watch her because, because even the viewer is like, all right, maybe this guy's like coming back around. Yeah. His son just quote unquote died. We don't know how we feel about Lonnie midway through the season. No. Especially when he appears to be more involved. And then you get that scene where Joyce is screaming at him to get out because she realizes that he's only there for the money. Yeah. That is that like side note. (laughs) <laughs> that is a serious, like, Winona Ryder crush moment for me. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Like, amazing. Yeah, I, I love Winona. I love when she's just like, get out of my house. <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> my, it's, like, my favorite thing. And then I think when you're looking at Hopper against Lonnie in this good versus evil mm-hmm. thing, you see that Hopper has the purest of intentions yes. throughout this hunt for Will. Yeah. So it really does set up this in it for the money versus I know what it feels like to lose a child. Yeah. Like empathy off the charts Mm -hmm. type of thing. Yes. And yeah, that's good versus evil. It is. Yeah. Love that. Um, So we can talk a little bit about redemption too. That's, that's a pretty major theme that we see. And we've, we've touched upon that a little bit um, a couple times. So we have Steve um, who definitely redeems himself. Yeah, for sure. By the end of this season. Um, I mean, he starts out just like an, absolute tool um he is just <laughs> he's like not a tool well you know leave him alone yeah i know i know leave i mean Steve he's alone. but the weird thing about steve well not weird i guess but he's he's a tool in front of his friends for sure um and but like he you can see him softening like over the course of the mm-hmm. season um and he he starts to realize like what's actually important and this is a theme that we see continue through season four where steve is still kind of struggling with like these concepts of coolness and like high school nonsense um but he in this season in this season he has a pretty clear redemption arc i mean he goes from you know making out with nancy in the bathroom to parading around with her and saving her and jonathan from a demogorgon Mm, that he yeah so and then you know we'll talk about the the camera gift at the end Mm -hmm. like we'll definitely get to that because that's that's a point of debate i think um but yeah definite redemption arc with with steve and then with L, um, we do have a redemption arc, but it's not really for us as the viewer. It's more about like the kids yeah, um, fully fully trusting her um, and, you know, coming to terms with the fact that she is not, in fact, the monster. Especially Lucas. Yes, Lucas was really, really resistant. Re- which kind of leads very nicely into this other theme, which is trust. Mm-hmm. Lucas's trust for L is just non-existent. Yeah. Virtually the whole time, she's like, she escaped from Penhurst, like Michael Myers, like who is this person? <laughs> like get her out of our party, which is interesting because that's sort of how Mike responds to Max in season two. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, so your girlfriend's allowed to infiltrate the party, but like my girlfriend's not allowed to infiltrate oh, the party. I actually like never made that connection. Yeah. Um, so Lucas's trust for Elle is a slow build. Yeah. Especially when she just utterly throws him across that field and he's like i could have died that's fair yeah that's a fair reaction i would be pissed i would not trust you if i don't know why i just developed an accent but i would (laughs) i would not trust you (laughs) i would not oh no (laughs) 
I would not trust you if you threw me against a bus. Nope. That seems fair. Yep. <laughs> no, no. Um, Elle's trust for Brenner. And you know, honestly, my trust for Brenner. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like... I feel like I have Stockholm Syndrome. Me too. When it comes to Marty B. Yes. When it comes to Papa. Um, Elle doesn't know. Well, first of all, Brenner is all Elle knows. Yes. So how she trusts is going to just look a lot different than how other children by her age trust. Yeah. So she loses trust for Brenner by the end of season one. Yes, because I, I think that she's able to see that there are other ways. Yes, to, there's contrast. Yes, there there's uh there's friends. Yeah. There's a concept of friends that she mm-hmm. does not know about. Yeah, and one of my favorite scenes, it actually makes me cry. One of my favorite scenes in season one is when they put Elle in the sensory deprivation tank in the school gym mm-hmm. to go look for Will and Barb in the upside down. And you hear Joyce's voice. Yes. Oh, I just got chills. Yeah. In the background, like, it's okay. It's oh, okay. I know. And I just couldn't help but think, I don't know if Elle ever got that from a parent no. figure. No. Even before that, when, when Elle is putting on, like, the goggles and taping them up and stuff, Joyce is, like, helping her get ready. Yeah. And she says, you're very brave, sweetie. Yeah, like, like, nobody oh. ever gave her that assurance. So sweet. Joyce is amazing. So Elle's trust for Brenner really goes south in yes. season one. Yeah, and then we also have Steve's trust for Nancy. Mm, good um, point. Yeah. Like, he he feels that she is uh, cheating on him with Jonathan, um, which is a really bizarre conclusion to come to. I mean, I guess it's not. He sees Jonathan, like, in her bedroom. Yeah, I would probably draw that conclusion. Yeah, I guess it's not that weird of a conclusion to draw. But, um, yeah, he really, really distrusts her. Um, and, and, you know, like, it's kind of fair because even if she explained what they were doing. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think he would believe her. But um, so that what you call it nowadays? Yeah. Monster hunting. <laughs> <laughs> So our our next theme, um, and this kind of leads right into it, is peer pressure, which we see pretty heavily yeah. in in this season. Um, so Nancy and Barb, that's some serious peer pressure between them. Even, um, I mean, Nancy drags Barb to this party. I know, and uh, and we're partying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is obviously not quote Barb's. unquote party, mind you. This is like right. four people. I mean, it's literally I'm sorry, like five. Yeah, right. It's five people. Our kind of party. I mean, honestly, yeah, that might be too many people. Um, so then go away. Yeah, yeah. So, so she drags Barb to this gathering, um, which is like clearly not her scene at all. And Barb falls to the peer pressure and decides to shotgun a beer, and mm. it ends up killing her. Sorry, Nancy. But yeah, that's that's some serious peer pressure. And then, like, uh, you know, the reverse way there is that Barb is continually pressuring Nancy to, uh, I don't know, like not explore not expand her her horizons i never thought of that yeah like it feels like she's kind of trying to lock her down a little bit into um staying uncool i think barb is afraid of losing nancy Mm -hmm. to a cooler crowd and she's trying to pressure her and say this isn't you and make her feel bad about um staying with steve um you know none of your business barb no which is so interesting because i think in season two and you could totally correct me if i'm wrong but i think in season two nancy alludes to the fact that no, it might have been season one when they're, like, loading up the weapons to, to fight the Demogorgon. Uh-huh. And, and Nancy says to Jonathan, she's like, you know, like, a week ago I was with Barb shopping for a new top that I thought Steve would like. Yeah. And now I'm, you know, buying bear traps with Jonathan Byer, <laughs> Byers. And it's just, it's funny to me because 
in that in that moment it does kind of feel like Barb is supporting Nancy. She's like, all right, let me go help my best friend find, like, a cute-ass shirt yeah. to help her because she's trying to impress this boy. I mean, yeah, at the same time, like, uh, Barb is clearly supporting her by even going to this party. Like, True. She could have been like, uh, yeah, I'm not doing that. Yeah, no. <laughs> Screw you. There's a Demogorgon on the loose. <laughs> <laughs> no. Word no. on the street is there is a Demogorgon, <laughs> and it's dangerously close to that home. Yeah, I do not like that. Oh, I love that point, though, about Barb. Like pressuring Nancy in like the reverse. Of yeah. Pe- it's almost like the reverse of peer pressure. Yeah, yeah. Um, Steve and then obviously Carol and Tommy. Oh, the worst. So there's just a really satisfying thing about watching Steve stick it to Tommy. Oh, yeah. When he leaves them. And I know I probably shouldn't like be like, yay, outbursts. But when <laughs> Steve goes off on Carol, it's like, Carol, just, just stop. Like, yeah. Finally, somebody tell these I know. Tell them. They need to be stopped. They need to be stopped. Why didn't the Demogorgon get either of them? You know what? That is a fair point. Because honestly, they deserve it. They deserve it. Where's Vecna in this season? I don't I don't know. Because I know those two have got some, they got some baggage for they sure. They must have some baggage. <laughs> Carol and Tommy. Yeah. But he, there's definitely just this dynamic of like, they, they are okay with Steve kind of going after the Nancy type. Yeah. But it's, a, it's not typical for him. And they make that pretty clear. They're like, Ooh, does Steve have a heart? Like, yeah, like, okay, why is that bad? Like, yeah, <laughs> and, and and they're like fine with her being at the party, and they, you know, obviously make fun of them when after they have sex. Like they, they're like okay with it, but I think they're just keeping Steve in a box, yeah. kind of in the same way that Barb is keeping Nancy in a box. Yeah, I don't think that they expect it to be like a relationship. I, yeah, I think that they think Steve is just kind of messing around with Nancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when Steve starts to show feelings for her, they're like, whoa, slow your roll, dude. Yeah. I wrote down in our notes, Joyce and Lonnie, because this mm-hmm. to me got a little bit, I hate to use this term. I just really hate to use this term because I, I don't, I don't like to use it lightly, but we see throughout season one, the gaslighting of Joyce, who's trying yeah. to make it clear that, you know, there's a monster in her wall and her, <laughs> I kind of get it. I, I get her, it. I her son is speaking to her through the lights and Lonnie is like, you just have to accept this. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of get that from Hopper too, where he's like, you know, after Sarah died, I thought I heard her too. Yeah. So there is a little bit of peer pressure in the adult camp with Joyce trying to get her point across. And then Lonnie obviously trying to get her to just accept that their boy is dead. And then Hopper, who is just trying to, who truly lost a child, who experienced grief and is trying to empathize with Joyce, but is also sort of invalidating her at the same time. Yeah, but he's definitely like not meaning to. It almost no. feels like with Lonnie, he's like, okay, Will's dead. What's next? Yeah, it's very like, peer pressure Yeah, like, okay, cool. Time to sue the Sattler company. <laughs> like, no, man, your kid just died. Man's just wants the money. Uh, there's also the peer pressure. I mean, it's like really, really light. But um, when Lonnie first comes over and he is like, here, drink, it'll calm mm, your nerves. You know, yeah. like he's he's trying to, um put joyce in a state where she is more tolerable for him i think yeah 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 um just so i know right ew um just so that he can kind of like do what he's there to do i guess sue the settler company (laughs) (laughs) ultimate goal yes ultimate goal sue people Um, and then finally with peer, peer pressure, we have, um, the kids versus the, the bullies, the mouth breathers, Troy and James, um, who are like, just, I mean, what kind of bullies like make fun of people with medical conditions? All bullies. I mean, yeah, I don't know. 80s bullies are, are something else off the charts. 
but but yeah so the the kids get very peer pressured by troy and james many times um mostly into like i jump off a whole ass cliff (laughs) what what it's pretty peer pressure it is like i mean they yeah like and then mike complies he does he's about to jump off a dang cliff he does jump off a cliff um but i i I always find the scenes with the bullies a little weird um because it they actually bend to the will of the bullies. Like well, yeah, like when 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 they're like do the arm thing, and, and he does Dustin it. does the like, arm thing. Just walk away, dude. Yeah. It's like what? <laughs> like like the bullies come up to them and they're like, oh yeah, like the circus is in town, and they all stop. Like just keep walk, go Listen, to class. Okay, we needed to shoot the scene. Yes, go to class. Boys. I thought you said go eat grass. I mean, that would have been a better use of their time, honestly. Yeah, yeah. So those bullies are just the worst. Um, so I'm really glad that we get to see Troy pee his pants because that's really satisfying. That is satisfying. <laughs> pee pants McGee. Pee pants McGee. That is his name. Um, yeah. So I I wrote about sacrifice a little bit. Um, just because we have a lot of like subtle nods a little bit to to sacrifices. Like our first one, I think, is Will. Um fireballing the demogorgon in the game of Mm. um dungeons and dragons Mm -hmm. as opposed to casting protection yes as opposed to casting protection um which like mike talks about it a little bit later to lucas when he convinces him to go out and search for will because will put himself in danger yeah for for the the party party. Uh uh-huh and then again we see sacrifice when will is about to leave mike's house and he says um that he rolled a seven and the demogorgon got him yeah so he admits that he lost, even mm-hmm. though he didn't need to. Mike did not see him lose. Yeah. And they were going to continue the campaign, but Will admits his loss. Um, <clears throat> and then as a direct result of that, we see the boys put themselves in harm's way to protect the party and to go save Will. Um, so they go out in the pouring rain to go search for Will in the forest where he was presumably kidnapped or murdered or something. And um, yeah, the boys just go out there because they want to find their friend they're just such boys i mean yeah they're at that age to me they really are they, they think they're invincible they really do and everything is an adventure mm-hmm. <laughs> even though it's deadly yeah they're like whatever it'll be fun yeah um and then Elle sacrifices yeah. herself at the end um by you know disintegrating herself goodbye mike so sad <laughs> disintegrating herself uh into the upside down which i mean i'm assuming she thought this was gonna kill her um but it didn't so but that was that was a sacrifice for sure um when jonathan and nancy decide to oh, go yeah. go this monster really hunting like um one. nancy tells jonathan like shouldn't we tell your mom mm-hmm. i mean we should we should validate her you know mm-hmm. like she deserves to know and jonathan does not want her to know that they're going monster hunting because he wants to spare her she he feels like she's going through enough um and he doesn't want her to know that he's putting himself in serious danger i mean she just already lost a son so yeah. i'm assuming joyce would probably try to stop him if she knew about it so could we just like linger for a second on jonathan because yeah. i feel like the sacrifices that this boy has made just I mean, in, across the board like even that first scene or the sec whatever number scene it is mm-hmm. um where it's like you weren't supposed to be working when I'm working yeah. and he's already making all these sacrifices because he is for lack of a better term, the man of the house. Yeah. He's like essentially Joyce's partner. Yeah. In a lot of things. Like, yes. Very parentified. Like he is essentially mm-hmm. Joyce's partner and he's expected to, you know, be there for will and watch over his younger brother and he gets scolded. if He's not doing that. And yeah, his level of sacrifice, I think goes even beyond just what we just mentioned. 
Yeah, and and I actually really love. Um, I have a love hate relationship with with the sacrifices that Jonathan makes. Um, I just feel like he he feels the need to protect his little brother, um, just because his dad wasn't there for them to to be that person, and you know it forced his mom to not be able to be there for them like as much as she wants mm. to be. Um, so like I I have a love hate relationship with that because I I have a younger sibling and I understand what that can feel like to to feel like you have to be that person to protect them yeah it's it's like sad but also pretty amazing to watch and when you don't protect your younger sibling they get taken by the demogorgon mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. thank goodness my sibling is an adult now <laughs> <laughs> i think she's okay her risk all siblings her, her demogorgon <laughs> risk has fallen thank goodness um and then uh, finally the sacrifice we mentioned earlier which is mike literally <laughs> jumping off a cliff literally jumping off a cliff would you jump off a cliff for me i think i i think i'd i'd i'd, I'd do it She's i would hesitating hesitate. i think i'd hesitate but i i think i'd do it you ultimately. would jump off a whole cliff i don't know i'm kind of we have been friends for many a year and you i mean listen it depends on what the threat was right like troy was just gonna like cut out dustin's teeth or something <laughs> oh yeah so just i mean cut out his teeth it would hurt but i don't think it would kill you jumping off that cliff would kill me yeah you know it would suck I'd okay. be like, here, you can cut out my teeth too. It's fine. Oh God, but I just don't want to, I don't want to die. No, I don't want my teeth cut out. I don't want my by teeth a, cut out. By a 12-year-old by, boy. <laughs> by a mouth <laughs> father. Yes, dentistry in 1983. <laughs> <laughs> just stand on the edge of a cliff and get your teeth cut out by a 12-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Let's talk about, um, switching gears a little bit, talk about some some initial reactions in the media to Stranger Things Season 1. Um, so Stranger Things Season 1 came out in 2016. Um, so this is kind of what I know, right? Um, so this is kind of what was uh, going on in the media. Season one got a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's a lot of tomatoes. It's a lot of tomatoes. Um, so yeah, it did really well. Um, it was really, really well received in the media. An 8.7 on IMDb. How does this compare to what like season four had? I don't know. I actually didn't look. So, but yeah, it did really well. The advent of uh, Justice for Barb was a really big movement at the time um, that Stranger Things season one came out. Uh, people really, really resonated with Barb's character. And um, even though Barb only appeared in, uh, what, two episodes? I feel bad, but I just really didn't like Barb. Yeah, I I agree. <laughs> I felt like she was really holding Nancy back. Um, I mean, she didn't deserve to die, but... Fair enough. Yeah, <clears throat> like, sorry for you Barb stands out there. Um, and not Nicki Minaj fans. <laughs> I'm not talking about Barb's. <laughs> um yeah people who are fans of the character barbara holland um <laughs> i'm so sorry um <laughs> but yeah I'm sorry for your loss i'm so sorry for your loss justice for barb uh was a major movement of the time people really felt um bad for shannon purser's character just for some context real quick so we said that season one had 97 percent rotten tomatoes season four 89 percent Ooh, tomato meter Ooh. And a tied audience score. Let's look at the other season. Yeah, I'm I'm curious now. Um, but yeah, uh, season one also won several awards. It mm. won five primetime Emmys and many other awards, mostly for writing, editing, and other behind the scenes work. Um, so shout out to the crew of Stranger Things. You guys are awesome. They're beautiful. They we really wouldn't are. be here without them. No, we would not. I don't know what we would talk about. Nothing. Season two had 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. So it went down a little bit from season one. And then season three was tied with season four for 89%. Okay. I mean, still pretty, pretty great scores. I suppose. It's a B plus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so to wrap this up, 
Um, I'd like to just go back to kind of like how we were feeling at the time that Stranger Things came out. You were sitting wherever you were sitting. Yeah. Watching the first episode. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. The first chapter. First chapter. Of yeah. Stranger Things. Yeah. Everybody close your eyes. Mm-hmm. And think back. Take a deep breath. Think back. This is now a guided Stranger Things meditation. <laughs> the Demogorgon is chittering. No, that's a bad meditation. He is chittering. That is so scary. Okay. I cannot relax in these conditions. The wind is blowing. The upside down wind. Yeah. (laughs) As opposed to the right side up wind. Where were you when you first watched the first season of Stranger Things? So I I was living um, at home and... uh, I have to be forced to watch everything, as you know. I am not like a TV person, really, um, but this show obviously has gripped me. I had heard a lot of the hype about it, but I just was like, whatever, you know, I, my life is fine. I don't, <laughs> I don't need Stranger Things. Um, my life, my is, life fine. is fine. Um, but I, I was living at home with my aunt. Um, I had actually just taught for a year, so I, I had finished being a teacher and I was about to go to grad school. Um, and I had, you know, of course the, the summer between and me and my aunt sat down and she was like, let's watch that show. Um, and I wasn't really sure about it at first, to be honest. Um, I really thought it was going to be very like eighties and I wasn't going to be able to relate or really like, I don't know. I, I'm a person who has to like kind of see myself in a show a little bit, um, and like relate to the characters a bit, um, in order to really enjoy it. But I was super hooked. Um, <laughs> actually after I saw the, the, the title card. I know that sounds stupid, but like once I saw the title card of the show, I was like, I understand what's happening here. <laughs> I, I felt like I got everything I needed to I know get it. out of out of the title card. Um, and especially after the body. So the, the fourth chapter mm-hmm. of season one. Oh, man. Like after that, um, after that, I was hooked. I needed to know what happened. Um, but I, I actually like I thought that I had the show spoiled for me at that time because my aunt was really hooked and she was like binge watching the show without me at that point. And she was on episode four or chapter four, The Body. And I walked by her room and she had it paused <laughs> and I saw the title of the episode and I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? You just spoiled the show for me. Like what? And she's like, no, 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 no. You have to watch it. I promise it's not spoiled. Like just watch it. Just watch it. Just watch it. And I was like, I am so mad right now. I know that Will is dead. Like they found his body, obviously. Um, but yeah, that was clearly not. No. That's not what it happened. Just, it doesn't seem like a spoiler. No, it was not a spoiler. <laughs> um, and yeah, like my my initial impressions of the whole season um, was that I thought it really was a great standalone season. Yeah. Like if if they had not moved on to a season two, I, I felt like it, it wrapped up okay. Like I, yeah, I would I have think been, so. I think I agree. There was a couple loose ends, but <laughs> it, it would have been all right. Um, but yeah, I I was pretty hooked after that. And then once season two came out, it was, it was all over. <laughs> <laughs> Everything ended. Yes. I don't have as vivid of a memory of watch. I like I remember watching season one. I was also living at home and I know that I watched it with my mom. But like I don't remember how I felt. I remember being really taken aback by the fact that Elle was bald. I don't know. Just something about that just really like stuck in my brain. And I was like, why is this poor child bald? I don't know. I feel like my second watch through of it was made more of an impression on me because by that point I was no longer living at home and I was living with my husband, my now husband. And I was like, we need to sit, we need to sit down and watch the show. It's got kids in it. You, you'll like that. It's the eighties. You'll also like that. And then when him and I watched it together, it, I remember being like, 
it was on the brink of season two coming out. Yeah. So I was like, you, we need to sit down and you need to watch this show because season two is coming out and we need to watch season two. And then I got him to sit through it. And that sticks out to me more in my memory mm-hmm. of the show than watching it for the first time. And I think if I remember correctly, the only reason I put it on was because I was like, Amanda will not stop talking <laughs> about the show. Like, what is she talking about? Yes. You seemed very into it and i felt like well i need to be into it yes yeah i remember because i even remember feeling at one point like my intuitness had almost surpassed your intuitness yes and i was just like thinking she got me into it whether she realizes that she did or not but somehow i have just gone too far yes (laughs) they need to be stopped (laughs) so yeah my first impression is a little bit fuzzy Mm. but Thank you. Yeah. That, <laughs> you're welcome. I, yeah, I love that. Yeah, it got to the point like where we kind of like flip-flopped a little bit. Like I was into it first and then Marina got really, really into it. And then like by season three, I felt like we were kind of at the same level. Yeah. But after season four came out, Marina was just like, look at this Reddit theory. Look at this thing I saw on Reddit. Look at this. Look at this meme. Look at this thing. I'm sorry. No, and I and I loved it though. Like, and that's what kind of like grabbed me back in. And I started listening to... um podcasts and um just like we started chatting more about theories and about like speculation and stuff like that and here we are here we are we did a podcast today we did (laughs) we did do a podcast i'm sorry breaking the fourth wall (laughs) (laughs) all right so i think that kind of wraps up our season one overview yeah i think i think that's like a nice little box to put Mm -hmm. season one in it's all the themes and the summary and who we're dealing with because our season one is going to be the show season one. Yes. You know, plus a lot more. All right. So that's season one. Um, next episode, we will go right into The Vanishing of Will Byers. She almost said I, dive. I did. I almost said dive and Marina really doesn't like that word. <laughs> so I'm really trying um, to not say it. Um, anyway. In the meantime, stay, stay strange. strange. To keep in touch and stay informed about upcoming Starcourt Study Hall episodes, follow us on Twitter at SSHPod and on Instagram at Starcourt Study Hall.